Good evening, it's Eric Erickson here at WSB at 7 after the hour, and joining me this evening, Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Casey Cagle, running to be Governor of Georgia under the Republican nomination. Thanks very much for joining me. Eric, great to be with you as well, along with the live audience as well. Well, we're delighted you could sit down, particularly during the session, and I want to ask you right out of the gate, because this has come up in every interview, although mostly diplomatically and subtly. Um, <laughs> but I, I noticed, I actually went back and looked. Um, Zell Miller running, having been the lieutenant governor. Uh, Pierre Howard, who dropped out, but right, even right. he. Uh, Mark Taylor. Everyone who ever ran against them in the primaries made the case that they had no accomplishments of their own. It was all the governors under whom they served who had accomplishments. So just out of the gate, uh, what are Casey Cagle's accomplishments? Ah, well, thank you. Uh, it is interesting to look back in history uh, at uh, Zell Miller, of course, and Pierre Howard, and, uh, and also Mark Taylor, uh, all Democrats, as you know. Right. Uh, but for me, the interesting thing is I've been able to serve with two governors, both Sonny Perdue and now Nathan Deal. And I've seen the governorship up close and personal, um, obviously knowing how to, uh, uh, to work through complicated uh, public policy matters, but also economic development as well. But for me, I have you know, picked a very um, s specific lane to be focused in, and that's greater economic prosperity. And I believe fundamentally that you do that through really investing in uh, a new type of education delivery structure. And I created in 07 the College and Career Academy Network across the state, along with the charter system, which is an entire new delivery structure it really is based on what I believe in the free markets uh, to where we really empower uh, local communities to design an educational system that meets the need of their community, but more importantly meets the need of the individual student. Uh, not a one-size-fits-all educational system, but one that's designed around the individual. And the beauty is in the charter system movement today, a third of all of our kids are underneath this program. When Atlanta got into trouble in terms of the failing schools, the superintendent couldn't find uh, or the board would not allow her to make the necessary changes. So she put an RFP out on the street and said, find me a, th a third party operator that can come into these schools and run the schools for us. That's exactly what she's done. And so every single one of the charter systems that exist today in Georgia are outperforming the traditional school. The College and Career Academy, we have 43 of those, 30,000 students that are enrolled. It's, a, it's really a partnership with the high school and the technical college. So kids have the ability to explore different career pathways that are in front of them and, and really decide what it is they want to do in life. Uh, and then they can pursue that junior, senior year duly enrolled they leave there with either an industry certification or a two-year associate's degree with zero debt. The greatest part about it is we have 98% graduation rates and we have demonstrated that we can increase salaries from 16000 for a normal high school student to 32000 coming out of a college and career academy. As governor, I want to make sure that every student in Georgia has access to a college and career academy. We started the first German apprenticeship program in the country, a three-year high school program that exists here. There's so many things uh, that okay, you know, a German apprentice. What is this? German apprenticeship program, um, which is a three-year high school program. This is really fascinating, Eric. So what it does is we actually took the curriculum, 
that is in Germany in industrial mechanics, and we got it adopted. It took me two years to work through the bureaucracy <laughs> to get it adopted, but we did. And when we did, uh, we launched it in Coweta County. We had 10 students sign up with their parents, a, a three-year commitment agreement that they would be in the program. Part of their day is spent with the industry, the partner industry, with a mentor that's teaching them in a practical way of the profession itself. And uh, part of their day spent there, the technical college and the high school, and they earn a salary. On average, they're going to earn about $25,000 uh, while they're in the apprenticeship program for three years. And obviously, they'll have a $40,000 job waiting on them when wow. they're done. Or they can go on and continue in their college uh, if they so choose. And I am a big believer uh, that we have to get back to where there's dignity in work, right? I mean, everyone that is adding value, regardless of what that job consists of, is important to that industry. And we as Republicans, as conservatives, what do we believe? We believe in empowering individuals to be able to chart their course and to be self-sufficient. And if we continue to offer more choice and options like I've talked about, What's amazing is that kids are not turning to a life of crime or a life of dependency on government. We're giving them the skills and the tools that they need in order to succeed and thrive individually. And it's a better choice and a better alternative than what they uh, were from. 25% of our kids today live in poverty. We have 40 counties that have 40 plus percent poverty rates that exist in those communities. I don't believe that you have to be trapped in that set of circumstances. And education is the great equalizer, but it can't be delivered in the same model that has been delivered in for decades. It takes new innovative reform measures. And I wrote a book called Education Unleashed that I published and released it uh, a year ago in October. It's had a, a tremendous success, but it outlines my vision on education. We'll be able to talk more about okay. that. I, I'm actually somewhat disappointed you didn't consider one of your accomplishments the brand new industry of Casey Cagle interpreter or inter impersonators for the various ads. It's, it's, well, there are some people who have job security for this campaign now. Well, yeah, that's a good, that's actually a good point. I, I have watched uh, with, with, with like you some humor in that. Uh, I don't know that most people on the outside see it, uh, but well, it, you know, I, sometimes they say that's the greatest form of flattery as well. Yeah, yeah I was about to say that, and it, it is interesting that I mean, the fundraising numbers came out today: uh, six point eight million raised um, before the session started, five point seven million cash on hand. I mean, heads and tails above everyone else. Um, it, it you are in a odd position that you're perceived as the front runner because of you're the lieutenant governor. You have the money raised, uh, and the I guess the, the serious attack that everyone levels is, well, he's just the lieutenant governor. It, it's <laughs> no, no accomplishments or anything, just, just basically steering the legislative machine. So yeah. um, it, it's nice to hear you talk about education out of the gate. I wanted to get to it in a little while. In fact, it's an overwhelming concern with people. Uh, one of the other big concerns with people right now, obviously, is tax reform. And mm -hmm. everyone, I think, has seen yes. the AJC story about the Correct. windfall tax mm -hmm. situation. The governor, not sure he wants to deal with it this session. Um, and I get, uh, in fact, I had a stack of questions from people, all of whom essentially saying, isn't it time, particularly if we have this windfall, to deal with tax reform and maybe get rid of the income tax and move to a sales tax like Tennessee and Florida? So undeniably, it's t it, we are ripe for tax reform. And as if you follow my campaign, uh, you have found that I've talked a lot about tax reform. And 
uh, we will be releasing a very comprehensive um, uh, tax reform bill that I'm excited about uh, going forward. But to, the, to your point, I think the governor has, has actually made the right decision, and the right decision was not to do something in haste. Unlike Washington, D.C., we balance our budget, okay, and we live by conservative principles in budgeting. And part of that is demonstrated that if you look back since the, uh, before the recession, we have actually held spending with, in terms of factoring in population and uh, inflation in real dollars is actually the same amount of money we're spending today that we did then. And so these types of things, along with building a rainy day fund of $2.5 billion, is critically important. So you don't want to jeopardize the AAA bond rating. You want to maintain a good, strong, conservative fiscal path that we will have. But I believe that we can roll back this 6% rate. And uh, I look forward to, obviously, outlining that plan. But the resources that we're going to have going forward is going to afford us to do that. I think we can get to five. We may be able to get to four and a half. Uh, it's going to take us not only um, looking at what we have, but making some significant adjustments uh, in terms of reining in additional spending, prioritizing that spending, uh, also looking at the expansion of what the base might could grow to and use that as a rollback factor. There's a lot of creative things that can make us more competitive. One of the things I, I, I don't hear you say, and, and, and you may support it or, or don't, I don't, I'm not sure, there have been a number of business leaders over the last several years who have said they feel like Tennessee and Florida and Texas have competitive advantages by having no income tax. Uh, what are, what's your um, thinking on that? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think you have to be very cognizant of political rhetoric versus reality, <laughs> okay? And, and it's real easy just to stand up and say, we're going to do away with your state income tax. Um, the, the, the truth is that, I mean, it, that's 54% of your state resources that you're coming from. So if you're going to take it away, what are you going to replace it with? Because people still have to go to school. You have to take care of the blind, the disabled, the elderly, and obviously public safety, all those factors which make up over 85% of the budget. Um, but um, look at the facts, and the facts are that we are the second lowest taxed state per capita in the country. Fact. Okay? And so, but can we do more? Absolutely. And this new tax reform bill that the president has given us, which I think is, uh, is going to create a huge economic windfall uh, for our country and certainly for our state, it gives us an opportunity now to be more competitive because the tax code has changed, we can change our code, and honestly there hasn't been a governor that has reduced the rate. And so I want to do it in a, in a systematic, methodical way that fundamentally transforms government and prioritizes us around making sure that we are putting a, uh, an emphasis on education, but also being focused on building the infrastructure and taking care of the blind, the disabled, things that people can't do for themselves. That's what government's role oftentimes is. When we come back, I'll ask Casey Cagle what his vision for Georgia would be as governor, how it would change from now, and talk about the urban-rural divide that has the legislature examining what to do to expand businesses out in the heartland of Georgia when we return. I bet you're familiar with P90X. 
my producer, Charlie, I used to ridicule him for using P90X. I've got a lot of friends who have used P90X. And truth be told, I actually eventually decided everybody's doing this. I need to get myself back in shape. So I bought it. And then you know what I realized? I didn't have a DVD player in the house. I, so I never actually used it, as you can probably tell. Um, and I always thought it was kind of crazy. As, as so many services are moving digital, the parent company, Beachbody, uh, com. It had a digital presence, but it wasn't quite easy to use. But now it is. They've got a new product I want to tell you about. My wife's been using for yoga for a while on our Apple TV. In fact, they have an Apple TV app. They have an Android app. They have a, an iPhone app. Um, really, really easy to get all of the Beachbody products. Um, the P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, the 3 Week Yoga Retreat. All of them streaming on your TV or your phone. Uh, you can do these things on your own time. You can pick your trainer. Easy to navigate. Again, my wife has been using the yoga one for a while. Uh, really likes it. Uh, and I actually even downloaded it to the Apple TV since i got to start going back to the gym regularly. I may give it a try with you. Who knows? We can have some tag team effort. Right now, though, I want you to go try this. You can get a free trial membership when you text ERIC to 303030 303030 30. text eric e r i c k to 303030 30. you're going to get full access to the entire beach body on demand program for free all the workouts and nutrition information for free just text eric e r i c k to 303030 30 today welcome back it's Eric Erickson here in our live lounge with Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. I want to backtrack on our conversation a little bit because uh, I've asked everyone this question so far. How did you get into politics? Oh, <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I never really uh, sought to, to be involved in public service. Um, and a buddy of mine came to me and said, I'm going to run for the state house and I want you to manage my campaign. I'm in business at the time, raising my family and and I said, I don't know anything about politics. And he says, well, I don't either. He said, but, you know, I need you. And I said, okay. So I met with him every day, uh, every Monday morning at 630 and planned out his campaign. Um, my wife is the most wonderful person uh, that you could ever meet. And I knew. Did I read y'all were high school sweethearts? High school sweetheart, uh, high school sweethearts. And I knew that she was going to be a person who would never, ever let me get into politics. So the campaign got real dirty nasty as they always do and I came home and told my wife I'm never getting involved in politics again <laughs> and a year later so a group of people said you need to come run for the state senate I said no I said there's no way but I never could get it off my mind it was like the Lord was putting it on my heart and and but again I kept going back to the fact my wife will never ever agree to this and so I went home one day after I just couldn't get it off my mind and I said honey I hate to tell you this, I said, I'm thinking about, you know, this Senate seat, and I just can't get it off my mind. Can you give me some clarity and kind of lean into this a uh, little bit? And she said, you need to do it. And I was like, man, this is like a confirmation, you know, from the Lord above that this is what I need to do. And in every big decision that I've made, interestingly enough, um, I've kind of fleeced it out there to see if I was doing the right thing. And every time it came back is, is, yes, you need to do it. 
And, and as you know, politics is a full contact sport. I mean, this right. is not an easy business uh, to be involved in. And fortunately, you know, I've been able to do what I do in public service in a part-time capacity and continue in my business endeavors that I've done over the 30, 31 years. But, um, but that's how I got involved. And, and, the mo and people, someone asked me the other day, they said, Casey, you know, what, what's the biggest thing you've done that you're the most, uh, the proudest of? And I tell them, you know, it's it, as many pieces of legislation that I have passed and as successful as those have been, it's really still back to the basics of helping that person who has no one else to turn to. And when you're able to do that and the stories that I have from being able uh, to reach people individually, that's why you do it. That's what you look yourself in the mirror and say, this is why I do what I do. Well, to put this in a little more perspective for the listeners, you were one of the, I mean, spotlight, flag wavers, however you want to say it, for the demographic shift in Georgia back in 94, that suddenly Democrats are falling in, in North Georgia, and, and you were one of those Republicans who were picking them off. It's really interesting, Eric. Um, you're right. I mean, it's when I think about it, I was the first Republican state senator ever elected out of Hall County the first Republican Lieutenant Governor in the history of Georgia. Uh, that's pretty remarkable in itself, and so a lot of people do say, you know, this is a, a trailblazer. But, um, you know, we started out, I mean, as, uh, you know, really focusing on conservative principles and talking about conservative issues. We'll finish this thought when we come <laughs> back, and look, let's get into Casey Cagle's background as well as the rural-urban divide when we come back. It's Eric Erickson here at WSB 36 after the hour. Joining me, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, running for the Republican nomination for governor in Georgia. Um, Casey, I want to step back real quick. We talked about how you got into politics, but your background, um, banker, small businessman, um, would you just build the audience in on your biography before yeah. politics? Yeah, it's um, really kind of fascinating. I mean, as you know, I... I uh, grew up um, with a single mom. My dad left when I was three years old, and um, I remember vividly walking in and seeing her kneeling by her bed, saying her prayers, asking for God's uh, provision for us, and I uh, also uh, witnessed her not just teach me the value of faith, but also teach me the value of hard work because she worked two jobs to make ends meet. She was determined that I was that she or I was never going to be trapped in that set of circumstances, and um, I I tell that story not just to honor my mom, but it reminds you from where you came from, and when you never have had a safety net underneath you, it makes you get up early and stay out late, uh, working hard, and uh, so I had the chance to buy my first business uh, at the age of twenty, it's a tuxedo store, and uh, we. Uh, Later on, my mom and my stepfather at the time uh, came into the business as I expanded it and uh, grew it. It was a very, very uh, fruitful business. Um, ended up giving it to them. Uh, they were able to retire off of that, which was a, a wonderful thing. Uh, I transitioned into doing uh, real estate with Casey Cagle Properties that I created. Uh, a lot of real estate holdings, uh, development, construction, and obviously built that company uh, to a sizable um, a holding uh, and also started a bank in 1998 um, and it was um, a wonderful experience uh, and obviously I can't even fathom how you start a bank yeah it, well it's, it's a lot of hard work but uh, 
It's like, you know, it's like I tell people, I mean, you, you know, my success has been built around, you know, finding someone who's done it before and can do it again. And I think that recipe is important. Oftentimes, uh, people can talk the talk, but you need someone who has a proven record uh, that's been demonstrated, who's been tested time and time again. And, um, you know, that's what we did. And we built that bank, uh, ended up selling it to SunTrust. Uh, it was about a $2 billion holding company at the time, so it's quite, uh, quite remarkable. Uh, all that was done before the downturn in the economy. And uh, so we've been, you know, we've been active and it's been fun. One of the questions that I get from a lot of, I mean, I, 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 there's not even a reason to attach a name to the question because it's come up from so many people, is infrastructure mm -hmm. in the metro Atlanta area. But not just infrastructure in sure. the metro Atlanta area. There are also people outside Atlanta who perceive, maybe accurately or not, that Atlanta consumes so much resources mm -hmm. it deprives them of building their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, there's the urban-rural divide, but also if Georgia did attract Amazon, where are you going to put all the people on the roads? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, I think your question is, is very valid. And one is Georgia's expected to grow by four and a half million people in less than 15 years. Wow. Think about that. It's the size of South Carolina coming on top of Georgia. So we have to be busy. And as governor, I'm going to be committed like never before to build the type of infrastructure that we need. And it's through prioritization. It's no different than I did in business. It's the same in uh, government. We have to attack our greatest problems first, okay? And we have to use data to drive those points. And we have to look outside the prism of what we've been doing and think of it innovatively. Uh, we have to look at a tunnel under Atlanta and analyze, is that financially viable? And what is the return on investment to the citizens? Uh, looking and being willing to go in an elevated road system, prioritization going in, possibly uh, with lanes in the morning and then out in the evening on the, uh, the elevated road system. Utilizing the asset in the most efficient way through reversible lane type projects. But rural broadband, uh, listen, we can do business anywhere in the world, okay, from any corner of our state if we have access to the superhighway. And we are deficient in that. And we have got a strong bill this year that puts a framework in place to build that out. I'm going to be a governor that's going to utilize the private resources in order to build the infrastructure that we need, both in terms of roads and bridges, but also in terms of making certain that broadband exists as well. The rural health care crisis that's out there, hospitals closing. Um, in South Georgia, too many communities are losing population. That is, that is something that has to change. And the thing that excites me about being governor is I have a chance to shape and to plan for what that four and a half million people are going to look like, right? And to shape that, to be able to see greater economic prosperity occur in some of those rural communities, to come alongside them and have a team with me to say, these are the building blocks that need to occur. We've got to improve your road system. We've got to improve your water and sewer. You've got to put some land aside to be available for an industrial park. And we've got to focus ourselves on that workforce because education drives the economy. And we have proven time and time again that when they will make those investments and be a partner, we can transform a community. The best example is in Milledgeville. I was down there with the superintendent, and she actually adopted both of my educational initiatives 
And she said to me, we have moved our graduation rates, and this is a majority-minority district, okay, school system, and free and reduced lunch is probably 90%. So I want to set the, the, the framework right. correctly. She says, we've moved our graduation rates from 50, mid-50s to now 80, you know, over 80%. And she said, you do the math on that. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. In other words, we know if they're dropping out of school, out of high school, the chance of them turning to a life of crime or dependency on government are very, very high. Those are the trends that have to change. So how do you invest in infrastructure in these and, and potentially reduce the income tax percentage and mm -hmm. make it all work without having to raise taxes? Yeah, prioritization is the key to all of that. Um, listen, in terms of budget, we are, we are continuing to grow as a state, both in population, but also in terms of revenue. But think about this. If you cut the poverty rate in half, and that's a goal of mine, that's an, that is an aggressive goal as governor, but do you realize if you cut the poverty rate in half in Georgia and you get the productivity that comes out of that, we're going to be given even more tax cuts as a result of it. And this is the thing that Republicans have to get their arms around, is that, that it is about making strategic investments. Every business that I ever was involved in, and there were a lot of them, I never could cut my way to prosperity. I had to grow my way to prosperity, okay? And so the balance has to occur. And that's why I'm so proud and excited about Georgia and what our future holds and the ability to be the CEO of a great state, to see a vision, cast a vision on true conservative principles that can move us forward to where that mom and that dad that's sending their child to a technical college or sending their child to a college they want that child to have a job here in Georgia. And I want to create 500,000 jobs in my first four years. We've already done over 700 in eight years. I think we can do it. And that's the kind of aggressiveness that we need out of a governor. And that's, uh, that's what I want to be committed to. A number of listeners have written in and asked similar questions. Um, something I've asked as well to all the other candidates is, uh, the culture shift as we attract businesses from out of state, and in particular, going to the religious liberty issue. Sure. Uh, all of you, save one, support signing a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Mm -hmm. uh, the governor did too, and then vetoed it. Right. And so there's obviously a lot of cynicism. Sure, among, oh, absolutely. Um, you, all of you say you would sign it, but would you really <laughs> sign it? Right. No, I think it is, uh, listen, I'm going to be as candid with you as I possibly can and to your listeners. Um, you always need to measure someone based on, you know, the record, right? It's easy for you to make a promise. It's easy for you to say, but what's the track record? Have you been consistent to support faith-based organizations and churches and those initiatives? What's your real record in terms of being pro-life? What have you done for, you know, religious liberties? And measure my record. I mean, I have been there. I've received the Life Champion of the Year Award. I mean, these are things that I have committed to. Look at the conservative record and measure that. And, and I don't think we have to run or shy away from being a conservative. I mean, I think our conservative message that I just articulated to you is very universal. People don't want to say, I want to be on welfare. That's not what they aspire to do. They aspire to be self-sufficient. 
you know, and define their passion and love. That's what we want to be about and creating those opportunities and more of those opportunities in a state. And when you do that, you transcend party politics. And it's a true conservative principles, I think. Now, on that particular issue, there's a perception, and I mean, personally, I think it, it, it's right that uh, between the Hollywood studios and Fortune 500 companies, sure. when the last uh, riffer fight came up, uh, really pressuring the government into vetoing it, uh, mm -hmm. how do you say you're going yeah. to do something like this and, yeah. and actually get it done? Well, first of all, I mean, judge my record. I mean, I've been there. And on religious liberties, I've been there in the, as, a, as a lieutenant governor to fight for that bill. And I'm going to tell you, it was a fight. But we were able to get it through both the House and the Senate. And obviously it went to the governor. He vetoed it for uh, certain reasons. Had I had it to do over again, I probably would have structured the bill very differently than I did. Um, but what I'm telling you is uh, I am a very strong born-again believer. And uh, I am someone who, when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I believe strongly that we have to ensure that we are protecting our religious liberties. This year, this year in the legislature, we're doing it on the adoption bills coming out of the Senate. We're going to make sure that faith-based adoption agencies have protection, that they're not being discriminated against. People of conscience, people of faith, they need those protections. And as governor, I will tell you that I will have agencies that understand my clear directive that no one is going to violate your religious uh, freedoms. On a side issue on this, attracting these companies, mm -hmm. um, do you think it's a fair criticism that perhaps the state is spending a lot of resources attracting new businesses instead of deregulating and, and changing the way it does business so people businesses just want to naturally come? Um, I think that's a good political soundbite. Okay, <laughs> um, listen, I, I know that that this is a economic development is a full contact sport. Um, we don't overpay. All right. Everything has to be measured through a return on investment. How much am I putting in and what am I getting back? An example is that we give a historic tax credit that is issued throughout the state that people can get. If you measure that return on its investment, it is a 7x. That's a good return on your investment. So what okay? you're saying is that we're not actually creating a negative tax rate like Illinois where they're going to pay Amazon to... No. You go to South Carolina. I, I mean, I'd love to talk all night about this, but you go to South Carolina and Alabama, the only thing they have is money. They're having to pay for it, okay? But look at us, the world's busiest airport, okay? The Fortune 500 companies, the workforce, the low-tax environment, the, you know, all of these things have created something that has value, okay, that we sell every single day. The biggest issue they want is workforce development, and we get deals done much better. But more importantly, the tax incentives that are out there are statutory, small and large. And as governor, I'm going to make sure that we do more for the small business. When we come back, Casey Cagle's pitch to you why you should vote for him. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The last few minutes with the Lieutenant Governor. First of all, thank you for your time tonight. I know you were busy during session. 
Uh, I want to ask you, ultimately, as I ask everyone at this segment, this is your pitch now. Um, there are five of you running. Why you and not them? Uh, great question. And, and first of all, let me just say uh, how much I've enjoyed being with you tonight, and I appreciate you opening up uh, the venue. Um, I think what's important is to note that I'm, I'm not running against any person for governor. I'm not running for a job, and I'm not running for a title because I don't need one. I'm running to make a difference on a vision to move this state forward with greater economic prosperity, on deliverables that are out there that people can measure. 500,000 jobs in the first four years of my administration, rolling back for the first time a real significant tax cut in the tax rate that exists, putting economic development liaisons in place in every agency so we cut through the bureaucracy and streamline the process so small businesses can get up and go at a much faster pace. And along with that, building a world-class workforce is second to none. Casey Cagle, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Appreciate it.